Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. When you read the history of holidays, it seems like most took generations to really coalesce into the form we recognize today, except for Kwanzaa. It's really pretty amazing how quickly the idea spread for spending seven days on a celebration that defies commercialization and at its heart, it's really kind of philosophical. That's got to say something pretty powerful about how well the original organizers really hit the mark. We're going to dig into the origins and principles of Kwanzaa, what it's come to mean to people, and how it's celebrated right here in Nashville. But first, it's time for At Us. Each week, we take the time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gayogas Cannon. Hi, Anna. Hey, Nina. It's always good to see you in the This Is Nashville studio. Well, it's good to be here with you, too. What are listeners talking about this week? Well, it's the holidays, so it's been, you know, a little quieter than usual online lately. But on Tuesday, we had WPLN criminal justice reporter Paige Flager on to talk about the record number of stolen guns in Nashville this year. And that's when a listener who goes by J-Dub on Twitter shared his thoughts on how Nashville can reduce the number of gun thefts. He tweeted, quote, increase the penalty for gun thefts and any crime where a gun is in, per- in possession, whether it's used or not, um, with bail or parole. Too much money uh, to, be selling illeg- to be selling guns illegally or even full amnesty from gun buybacks. Address the carrot and make the stick more painful. Is his comment about selling guns illegally and buyback programs true? Well, yes and no. Page did mention that some of the stolen guns uh, are then sold for a quick buck. But as for buyback programs, in the past, Nashville police has offered $50 grocery store cards in exchange for firearms. But, you know, the average gun typically costs a lot more than $50. I will add, though, that there are studies that show that gun buyback programs tend not to have that much of an effect on reducing overall gun violence. What else have we heard from listeners? So also on Tuesday, during our conversation about tough holiday conversations, listener and former guest Rachel Kessner wrote to us saying, so the thing my dad says is, quote, listen to what I said, not what you think I said. Mm. That is harder than I'd like it to be, but I think it is worth remembering to listen critically. And you know what, Rachel? I think that's pretty sound advice from your dad. It really is. Now, this week, not only did we hear from listeners, but also from a guest. Yes. So after yesterday's episode on what's going on at Metro Arts, our guest, Alan Fay, sent us a very nice note saying, quote, personally, starting that segment with the recording from the council committee was almost emotional. I am so grateful that you included artist Simone Boyd's actual voice in the discussion, while also highlighting the fact that someone like her taking the time and courage to show up to meetings doesn't always mean you'll be truly heard. I remember texting briefly with Simone after that meeting happened and didn't get the full weight of what happened until I went back and watched the meeting on Metro's YouTube page. To hear it again, 
let me know right from the start of the conversation just how intent y'all were on ensuring many vo- uh, excuse me on <laughs> ensuring many voices would be heard and on the importance of having one's voice heard. Thank you, Alan. However, one voice we failed to include in Wednesday's show was that of former Nashville scene culture editor Erica Ciccaroni. Now, Erica was the first journalist to report about the allegations of racism and a toxic work environment at Metro Arts. That was definitely an oversight on our part. We always want to give credit where it's due, and we should have mentioned that Erica broke this story for the Nashville scene in September 2021. Right. Something else that came up in yesterday's show was the mental and physical toll on the women who were at the center of the story. And yesterday, Erica also tweeted about how the stress of reporting the story took a toll on her as well, Mm. so much that she eventually left journalism. So it's a good reminder that, you know, reporters are people, too, and getting the truth can be really, really hard on anyone who tries to do it. So we've updated the web post from yesterday's show to include links to Erica's work, which I also want to mention went on to win a David Carr Award in Investigative Reporting from the Association of Alternative Weeklies. And you know what? I really encourage any listener who wants to know more about what happened at Metro Arts to go back and read her work. Well, thank you to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, we'll see you soon. Yes, but before I go, I want to encourage our listeners to fill out our community survey. We've already been inspired by so many of the comments that we've received, and we want to really keep that going into the new year. So if anyone out there has an episode idea for 2023 or, you know, just something that you think we should check on, you can share that with us at thisisnashville.org. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're talking about Kwanzaa and how it's been a very special part of one family's life. Do you celebrate Kwanzaa? What does the holiday mean to you? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Nina Cardona, and this is Nashville. Kwanzaa is a celebration of family, community, and shared values. The idea of celebrating this holiday has only been around since 1966, but many Black families in the U.S. and around the world wouldn't end their year without it. One of those families includes someone whose voice will be very familiar to regular listeners of this show. That's right. I'm talking about your usual host, Khalil Ekulona. So it is funny to say this to you, Khalil, but thank you for being here and welcome to This is Nashville. (laughs) Hey, thank you, Nina. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. All right. So I know you are technically off the clock right now, but why don't you tell us who else is joining us today? Oh, wow. Um, A lot of times in life, you know, it's the parents who get a chance to gush about how proud they are of their children. But now the tables are turned and I get a chance to show off my parents to the listeners of Middle Tennessee. I'd like to welcome my parents, my mother, Olufemi A. Colonna, and my father, Ademola A. Colonna, to the show. That's who's joining us. Welcome, indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Adamola, I understand you were interested in Kwanzaa from the very beginning of the holiday. So let's set the scene a little. How old were you and what was going on in your life at that point? Well, I'm now 76. 
And at the time, 1966, I guess that was, what, 50 years ago or something like that. And um, it was just very much uh, adjusting to the uh, evolution of the civil rights movement into a black consciousness movement. And um, I wanted to do what was supposed to be done, you know, be part of what was going on. I was a young person. And so uh, when I found out that the holiday of Kwanzaa existed, I wanted to find out more about it. So I began to do research in the community. So how and did you first hear about Kwanzaa? Rumors. In, I was living at the time in Montclair, New Jersey, and things that were going on in New York or anywhere else, you know, would come by word of mouth because there wasn't much uh, media attention to African-Americans at that time, except in the civil rights demonstrations. And so we got information with local institutions and hearing what was going on in other places. Well, and what did you hear about Kwanzaa? That it was um, an alternative in some respects. Some people talked about it as an alternative to Christmas, but it actually has nothing to do with Christmas. Okay. And people were saying, well, we don't want to have a substitute for Christmas. And I came to find out that it was not, and it had never been. But I think because it occurs in the same season, people at first thought it was a an alternative to Christmas. But it just so happens that they're celebrated at the same time of year. Now, Olufemi, how about you? Where were you at that time? That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about this? What were your first impressions of Kwanzaa as you first heard about it? Well, I when I, I heard about it, and I, you know, I didn't think much of it then. But then Ademola, Khalil's father, he really uh, started teaching me about Kwanzaa and the meaning of it, you know. And uh, it's because of him that I think that I, I got into it a little bit more. And, um, and we did it. We did it for quite a while with the children. And I really liked it. It, was, it, was, it really did help give you a sense of pride, which what, which what it was supposed to do. And, um, and we did it with the kids. And uh, there's seven days, and we talked to the kids about it. You well, know, they had to act upon it, whatever the day meant. Yeah, and we're going to get into the meaning of those days. I want to get that that sense of the feel of Kwanzaa first. And, and, I, and I, I think it's really interesting how you're talking about with the children. Is that what really drove you to to really take on the celebration of Kwanzaa in a really serious way or intentional. Yeah, it did, and it made, it made us closer, you know, it, and uh, it really taught the kids. They, they knew what each day meant, and like I said, because we would talk to them about it, it meant a lot. It meant a lot, and they, they went along with it. They didn't, they didn't have a problem with it at all. Now, some families choose to leave Christmas aside in order to focus on Kwanzaa, and others do both. Uh, what was that conversation? And, and I'd like to hear from both of you. What was that conversation like for you guys when you were deciding what Kwanzaa would look like 
for your family? Well, well, we did celebrate Christmas, you know, and they got their gifts and, and whatnot. But um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I, I think it was... Um, it wasn't a problem for us that it was simultaneous with Christmas. So, you know, Christmas ends, well, supposed to end on the 25th and Kwanzaa <laughs> begins on the 26th. There were two very different focal points. And uh, our parents were very much into Christmas. And, of course, they were going to celebrate that and do everything that's traditional for their grandchildren. It, it just wasn't a conflict. It just, it just wasn't. We did one and then the other. And so uh, I, I think some people saw it as a conflict, but I look at Kwanzaa as local, very much local, because it's about family. So that how does each family approach it? And then that family fits into community. And so if there's no conflict in the family, there's not necessarily a conflict in the community. What did your parents think about you adding in this new holiday? Did they celebrate Kwanzaa with you, too, or...? Was that just no. something for you guys? <laughs> no. No, they didn't. <laughs> you know, they were of a, a different generation. And yeah. there were a lot of things that were going on at that time that, you know, we did that they didn't. And it was not a problem, you know, because they were going to do what they were going to do. And we had no option but to observe, you know, they were the elders. So what we had to do was do what they said was necessary. Well, Khalil, I'm curious for you to take us back. What was it like for you celebrating Kwanzaa as a kid? You know, it was really unique because at the time, um, particularly when, you know, we really got around, I think a memory from being in the second grade and a lot of my friends didn't understand or know what Kwanzaa was. And so to talk about that's what we were celebrating, it was... Um, I had I had to kind of educate my friends and my peers about what this holiday was and what it meant, because at the time in the 80s, there wasn't as much of an open dialogue or discussion about, you know, uh, African-American identity, um, understanding your heritage, uh, honoring and and really learning about your ancestry as we have now. And that's something that my parents had had always kind of focused in and taught us. So I think, and you know, my parents are being, I, I love them, but I think I remember a conversation in regards to the question you'd previously asked about our grandparents and how they felt. I do remember a little bit of slight tension one Christmas um, between my grandparents and my parents about Kwanzaa and going to see Santa Claus, I think it was, y'all. What was it? We searched around to find a black Santa in Macy's in New York one year, if I, I remember correctly. I don't remember. We might have. Yeah, I think so, because there's there's two sets of pictures, um, and it was a long day, at least um, my sisters and I can recall to that. But... You know, and, and so it was really interesting because my parents, all the principles of Kwanzaa, my parents had already been teaching us. Mm. And so it was something to understand about who you are as a human being. You know, like my parents looked at us and they said, you're not a black American first. You are a human being of African ancestry who lives in America. Mm. That was a different way for us to frame our experience as we're going along and and 
kind of checking out and learning about the world. And so when talking to my friends, I'm like, no, this isn't a replacement for Christmas. This is something a little bit separate. And to be honest, my friends didn't necessarily get it um, when we're eight, nine, 10. Only later in the 90s, when particularly the hip hop movement became Afrocentric, did some of my friends come around and get to that um, understanding and open themselves up to the idea of Kwanzaa and celebrating. Now, I understand your dad picked up a nickname related to this holiday. Can you tell us yes. about that? Yeah, my father, um, you know, being the community leader that he is, he went around Baltimore um, and taught people about this new holiday when it was very foreign to them. And so he picked up the name Captain Kwanzaa in Baltimore, and people knew him by that because at the time he was an executive producer for Maryland Public Television, and he used his position to, you know, do a special about the holiday. He came to my elementary school. He went to the middle schools where my older sisters were and gave talks about it. He took us around the community. I remember being in church groups. I remember going to meeting halls. I remember being in people's living rooms talking about Kwanzaa, introducing the principles of the Nguzo Saba to the community. So he wasn't the only person doing it, but really one of the first and one of the leaders in that movement across the city. So people came to know him as Captain Kwanzaa. To this day, he still holds that title. Well, if you're just well, I'm not sure ahead. about that. I, <laughs> you know, I think that was a title given by my children. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is that a lot of times people would call me and ask me about, you know, how to do Kwanzaa, and that's what was supposed to happen because the people who knew about it had to give leadership. And uh, like now, I know in Baltimore, I'm just getting word that our Rights of Passion Society is getting ready to do another Kwanzaa celebration. Usually we do it on the 27th on Kuchichawulia Day. And I, I think it's wonderful that another generation has taken it up because uh, it was very important for our, my generation that we sustain it, that it be something as a, a resource for community self-determination. Well, you know, the credit to uh, my children knowing about Kwanzaa has to go to their father. Um, and at the time, during the, t the first couple of years, I guess after a couple of years, their father and I separated. And um, as, the, as the holiday goes on, different days people celebrate. And this was, I mean, I was certainly invited, but this was his special time to be with his kids and to teach them what it was all about and they would go to different families and stuff and uh and celebrate and enjoy it but it is i have to say it is to their father's credit that uh they they really understood what kwanzaa was i went along with it and i loved it but he gets most of the credit for this Wow. I, you know, well, I would say it's you. a little bit I would say it's a little bit of a combination because, you know, 
while Baba, my father, came with the philosophical end of it to get us to understand this deep meaning, Ia, my mother, you were the heart of all those things, you know? I think that's why it was so special for us, and it kind of really resonated and imprinted itself in to us as adults to be the people who we are. Because, you know, you have to have, if you have a philosophy, you have to have heart behind it you have, and that authenticity. And that's what you gave us, Mom, because we would come home, you know? And you would point out examples of these seven principles in daily life for us, particularly when it regarded to our neighborhood and our friends, the things that we can see, how we can understand and relate it. So it was a, a really... It, it just became incredibly deep and something that we all saw play out in our lives that we were able to understand. So I, I would say, and I think my siblings would agree, that it was both of you who really cemented that inside of us. Well, thank you, Khalil. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host for the day, Nina Cardona. We're talking this hour about Kwanzaa with the family of your usual host, the Ecolona family. Arimala, can you take me through the seven days of Kwanzaa and what they mean? Well, the first day, the first principle is Umoja, which means unity. And it's uh, the motivator for African-American people to look consciously at issues and strive to develop unity so that we have a position that can sustain itself in the in the social political framework. And then self-determination is really about individuals uh, naming themselves, defining themselves, and refusing to be categorized by people who are outside of the community. And then uh, Ujima, collective work and responsibility, which is about how families and communities can work together to achieve uh, goals that are agreed upon. And um, then it moves into Ujamaa, collective, uh, I'm sorry, cooperative economics, which I must say is where every, in, in, in traditional African culture, there is no welfare. There is no somebody giving you something so you can sit up and act like you don't have any responsibilities. Everybody has to take part in the work that must be done, and thus everybody has to share in the resources that come from that work. And so cooperative economics is not any kind of socialism or communism at all. This is really just about everybody in the community is expected to work and to expect it to have a specialty and the outcome of that specialty should be so that we have a better community in which resources are available to everybody. And then Nia, the fifth day is purpose. And so you, you should be thinking about, well, what am I doing this for? What am I here for? What am I doing? What am I part of? that can sustain you so that during difficult times, you know what you're about, what is your purpose? And um, then uh, creativity is the sixth principle, and that goes for not only the arts, but for thinking itself and for the innovations that you can come up with. And I especially, uh, I look at, at, at women as the, the creative way that women go about doing what must be done and how much they serve everybody with the creativity in the community. I mean, from the way Olufemi would braid the girl's hair 
to uh, what what is going to happen, how does the house going to look, and how do we participate in community? And the seventh principle is imani, which is faith, and that's where you get a merging of the different faiths that people bring to the Kwanzaa celebration. If some people are Muslim, some people are Christian, some people are traditional African, some people do not have a religion, so to speak, but they have faith and a trust that we're doing the right thing and we should be able to build community. And that brings the strength to everybody in community. So that, that's what it's all about. And it's, it's uh, very much interpreted locally. So I can imagine there would be differences between what's done in Baltimore, what's done in Atlanta, and what's done in Nashville. And I look forward to that. I always enjoy going to different places and seeing what they're doing. And so it's, it's really a, a time to celebrate the value system that has assisted African-Americans in obtaining the freedom that has been so long sought for. Those are some really big ideas. Um, I really appreciate some of the, the specifics that you gave in there about some, some things like, you know, creativity can be the, the way that hair is braided. How do you, what does it look like to celebrate something like, say, Ujama during Kwanzaa? Well, that, that's very <laughs> deliberate because it's, it's about the economics. Okay, well, so you're going to have a community celebration. Well, where does the money come from? Where do you get the resources so that the community is celebrating uh, the food? The food is usually uh, uh, what in America would be potluck, but we, we call it it's uh, a karamu where the food is everybody brings something. And as a result, you have a feast. So instead of having one big bowl of chicken, you've got seven different kinds of chicken and you've got all these vegetables and different types of uh, contributions to the community feast. And so that comes everybody has to put money out to get those things and prepare them for community. And the sharing of them is what is the point of it. Olafemi, as a mother, how did you help your kids think about those concepts? Well, um, <laughs> well, you know, you talk to them, um, and you know, you just you just let them like self determination. You know, you sit and you talk to them about what they see and what they want in life. You know, and how they'll go about it. Now, one funny thing was um, when it comes to, um, no, which one is it? Uh, Emoja and its collective work and responsibility. And I would talk to them about it, and then I'd say, now it's your responsibility to go clean up your room. Mm. Well, how'd you feel about that? <laughs> yes, those those that principle came around chores uh, <laughs> a lot. You know, and they go, oh, but I said, but that's your responsibility. But um, <laughs> you know, you just you just take each day and explain it to them, and and try to have them to do something that that day represents. You know, and and I have to say they were they were very much 
in tune with it. They really and truly were. Khalil, as a kid, when you knew that Kwanzaa was coming up, what was kind of the, the feeling? What was the like image that you had in your head of, okay, this is what's going to be happening. It's, it's almost Kwanzaa. I, you know, I think about it, and it's 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 all these warm warm colors, um, very delicious foods going around to different communities, eating wonderful meals. I believe it was one family, the Alette family. They made this uh, chicken adobo that was I, I've had nothing like it since. Um, it turned me on to adobo, and I love it. But it was also the end of the year, and so with that, the the principle, particularly of Kujichagalia, self determination, that my mother was just talking about. You know, as we enter the new year, how are you going to be? How are you going to act? You looked forward to the year in how you could instill those principles. And it was always fresh on my mind for the first couple weeks of the, the next year in January. Then it kind of dissipated. But being an adult now and looking back, I saw how I was able to act out those principles in my life. Now, I wasn't perfect at all, and I was also a young person, so I was bound to make plenty of mistakes. Um, and to be honest, with my situation, both of my parents sat me down to talk heavily about uh, self-determination, Kujichagalia, and Nia Purpose, because when report cards came around, I guess I would say I was the disappointing one. Um, and so I would get talks about, you know, hey, what are you going to do? You get get your average up and get on top of your work. They would use those principles. And I, I looked at it as an opportunity to be better. You know, we often look at New Year's as a time for resolutions. Are we going to keep? But these were more of who are you going to be? You know, who are the what's the type of person you're going to be? And it allowed me to think, you know, kind of that deeply from a little child all the way through to my adulthood. And it was just a, a wonderful time. You know, the fact that we were able to celebrate different. I think at one point in time we celebrated Hanukkah, Christmas and Kwanzaa for years because of the family and the diversity of our family. And so it, it gave me a worldly aspect in the suburbs of Baltimore, Maryland. Now, one thing that we did do in the very beginning, because they were so young, usually on the last day is where the big celebration is and the children get their gifts and everything. Uh, we kind of changed that a little bit. They got gifts. We divided the gifts. And they got gifts at Christmas time. But to make them understand it a little bit more, on Kwanzaa, we gave them a gift a day. Do you remember that, Ademola? Yeah, yeah. yeah to, it ease, was, uh... to ease them into it, instead of them waiting to the, to the to the first to get all their gifts and everything. So, and we did that for a couple of years, you know, to make it a little bit easier because they were in school. Kids were telling them all the stuff that they got, and they're sitting there waiting for theirs. No. We decided not to do that. Now, we've been talking about Kwanzaa with your family, but how about outside the home? Olifemi, what was it like celebrating Kwanzaa with the larger community? Well, you see, that's where I say that um, their father gets the credit for that because really and truly, I didn't know anyone who celebrated Kwanzaa. And Ademola would take them to different homes for, this, for, the, for the seven days. And um, I chose not to go 
because like I said, we were separated, and I felt that that was a special time for them with their dad. So I didn't, I just talked to them at home. But their father took them out into different communities and let them enjoy and celebrate. And mom, you probably also needed a break from us crazy kids. Well, now that's true. I did enjoy that part. But... <laughs> that's the truth. That's the truth. And I, I think I, I, I know uh, I was much younger then. One year, we I was part of. We decided that each family would host the other six families, and so that we were going somewhere every night of Kwanzaa and one night we would host. That was crazy. Yeah. It's too much, you know, much too much. And so that was the one time we did that. But it was, I mean, it was great because, you know, every, it was hectic for everybody. But uh, now I would go to maybe two different outside events, but then do the ceremonies at home also. Well, I could listen. Yeah, I could listen to you guys talk all day. You are just wonderful, sweet people. We've been learning about Kwanzaa with the Ekelona family. Khalil Ekelona is usually the host of this show. This is Nashville. He was joined by his parents, Adimola and Olufemi Ekelona. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Nina. Thank you for having us. Yes, it's our pleasure. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with some of the folks bringing Nashvillians together for Kwanzaa. What are your favorite Kwanzaa traditions? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. Kwanzaa can be a mix of celebration in the home with family and loved ones and larger events that involve the whole community. It's a little different in every place. Nashville is one of those cities where people can really feel that togetherness in a big way every night of Kwanzaa. And that takes a lot of coordination and passion for the community. My next guests know all about that. Marquita Holt is board member of Kwanzaa Nashville, and Janine Blackman is president of the African American Cultural Alliance. Thank you both for being here, and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much for having us. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yes. Glad to have you. Now, if we go back 40 years, Janine, I understand that your group started some of the first community celebrations of Kwanzaa here in Nashville. What's your understanding of how that came to be? Well, um, Kwame Lillard, who was formerly the CEO of the African-American Cultural Alliance, and now I'm the new CEO of the Cultural Alliance. He um, was a man about culture. Kwame Leo Lillard was a civil rights activist and a former um, freedom writer. So he was all about culture in Nashville. So my first experience was going to an AACA Kwanzaa event. And it was always the second night. You could always count on it being on the second night, Kuchitakalia, self-determination, and so Nashville was introduced to Kwanzaa through that experience. Now, Marquita, I understand you were a teenager when you were first introduced to the idea of Kwanzaa. What was your first impression? 
Oh, my first impression. So it was sort of like what Khalil and his family were talking about, just how sometimes folks that don't celebrate Kwanzaa, they can kind of feel like, ah, is it in competition with Christmas? Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember uh, my really close friend, Maria Hall, who is also the founder of Kwanzaa Nashville, her family celebrating. And we were in high school, so I was a young, 14, impressionable girl. And she was so proud and so excited about about our culture. And so that that uh, intrigued me uh, to to put a little seed and plant inside of me so that when I got older, I would understand it for myself. And Janine, when you first start talking about the seven principles of Kwanzaa with the youth at your church, what was the reaction from the leadership? The leadership wasn't as understanding as I was about Kwanzaa. But being the person that I am who grew up in an African-American church, and I, the pride of who we are was very important to me. So I thought it was especially important that we shared it with the youth. They came around after years of me actually continuing to, to teach them about Kwanzaa. What was that initial hesitation? Was there a little bit of a misunderstanding? Of misunderstanding exactly what it is. It's not a religion. It's really about purpose, principles, and how to set their course for the year. And that's that's a really big, important part. This is a cultural celebration, yes. right? not, not a religious one. Yes. So... Marquita, I understand that there was a little bit of that. I'm a, I'm a Christian. This isn't necessarily my holiday for you at first, but clearly you have come around to embracing the Indeed. holiday. So <laughs> what has Kwanzaa come to mean for you? For me? Oh, my goodness. There's so many different things. I'd say one of the biggest um, ways and, and, and the meanings of Kwanzaa for me is appreciating my my beauty, right? Like mm-hmm. seeing brown girl, gap tooth, and seeing that in so many people in our community and saying, I am beautiful. So dressing in uh, traditional African clothing like I'm wearing today or um, that. So that's really important, right? Just how I see myself and how I show up, but also the um, generational uh, sort of the intergenerational rather uh, conglomeration of, of youth and elders my jam, right? Like I love nothing more, no matter all these celebrations and everything that we're doing, it's really beautiful work, seriously. But to see a young child sitting at the foot of an elder during a celebration, mm. my favorite, that, that <laughs> is what it is to me is, is passing those legacies and traditions. Janine, what value have you seen Kwanzaa bring to the black community? Pride. Oftentimes in our society, we see images on television and social media that's not always the best likeness for us. But it's unity. We start with unity, we end with faith. But teaching everyone about how important it is to be African-American in America is important to me, especially now. I think children oftentimes like um, don't see their reflection in their community. But when you come together with a body of people who believe, who know who they are, who are confident, who have self-determination and purpose and meaning and creativity, because we're very creative, then they know that they're part of that community and it's nothing that they, you know, can stop them from being the best person they can be. Well, and that ties so much. I mean, just like what you were just saying about feeling confident in your own beauty and feeling confident in just physically what you're presenting as a black woman to the world and like what you are wearing and what you're putting on and having that be very rooted in the community. So why don't you tell you're you're wearing a beautiful outfit. Thank you. Tell us about this. <laughs> sure. Um, it's actually my wife. Uh, she has a. She's from Ghana. She has a clothing company called Threads by Dreads, and 
she will actually be a vendor um, two nights. So for Umoja and Ujima. So one of the principles, the fourth principle is Ujima, and that means corrupt cooperative economics and that means supporting black businesses and so Janine also is wearing traditional mud cloth and so that is you know we we believe in um recycling that black dollar in our community so you'll often see people wear a uh, garb uh, or, or jewelry or all the things for uh, during Kwanzaa well and certainly both of you are showing us you know that the African roots mm -hmm of your people in the way that you're dressing. This is also very much an American holiday. It was born out of an American need and the needs of the black American community. Where do you uh, see that balance between what is African about Kwanzaa and what's American about Kwanzaa? I think that um, we, it's all of all the same. Mm -hmm. There's a balance because first of all, African is, is our root. And we are American, so we, you never should forget your heritage and our ancestors. So telling the stories of old and new and bringing it together is a big part of what we do. We have to tell the stories. Oftentimes in Nashville, one of our goals at AACA is to continue the history. We have landmarks here that children don't know about. There's history about Africa. We were not taught the true history of Africa, the passageways, how we got here. So Kwanzaa is very much that as well. We have to remember where we came from and we'll remember where we are now and share the stories. So the coming generations will be proud of who they are as Americans and can teach other cultures about how powerful it is if we have unity. Emoja. Now, Marquita, I understand this is one of the only cities with community events every night of Kwanzaa. Listen, I was listening to Khalil and his parents, and I was like, oh, I remember the days when we just go to people's homes. <laughs> it was everything. But we have been inspired, honestly, by people like Khalil's parents and, and Baba Kwame to make this thing bigger, but also bring the young folks, bring everybody in. So, yeah, we're one of the only cities that celebrates and has an actual event every single night. <laughs> now, Kwame Lillard's name keeps coming yes. up for very good reason. Mm -hmm. You know, he passed away just before this holiday a couple of years ago. How much do you still see his fingerprints in the oh, celebrations? Wow. He is still very much a part of me. I feel him around me all the time. In fact, the year he passed away, it was on my heart to do a virtual prior to his death. And it, it was his last Kwanzaa event, his last act as a part of the African-American Cultural Alliance. And so I'm so grateful for this Holy Spirit, which drives me to tell me that, that we needed to do that then because literally he wouldn't have made the, the um, event. Hoochie Chocolate, which was his favorite, favorite thing in the world. He was definitely a self-determined person. He definitely imparted that on me. So um, you can't do Kwanzaa without thinking about <laughs> Baba Kwame nope. and all his contributions. And he lit me up the first time I saw him holding up that corn, <laughs> you know, that fruit to teach us about self-determination, how to come together as unity. He always talked about one love, one people. Marquita, how about you? Where do you oh, see his fingerprints? I'm um, getting a little emotional. So um I hear him singing the Kwanzaa jingle. Mm. Um, I hear, I see him dressed. I see him complimenting. I see him. Um, one, one of my favorite things about Baba Kwame is is um, sort of what I was saying before, but he, he had this thing that he would say to me about connecting black folks, meaning 
there can feel like, you know, people that celebrate Kwanzaa are sort of self-righteous and they know all about themselves and, you know, all these things. But also there are people who've never heard of Kwanzaa and we have to reach everybody. So even just doing this work and, and being here with you today lets me know that I can spread the news uh, to, to a broader audience. And so that's all Baba Kwame. That's all Baba Kwame for sure. Maria Hall wasn't able to join us today, but she told our producer that Kwanzaa in Nashville feels like a kind of reunion. And she described it as spilling out into the streets. How would you describe the feeling of Kwanzaa here in Nashville? Mm, the correct family. Family, family, family. <laughs> family. In the eyes of the children, I love children. So watching them come up into like the Konara or the families come together to the celebrations, the dancing, the music, <laughs> the food, and supporting each other economically and in the community, all of that together brings about a wonderful week. You really don't want to miss it. Trust me, you don't. (laughs) Now, Maquita, tell me about the Queen Mothers. Oh, the Queen Mothers. So, um... Have you seen Wakanda Forever or Black Panther by oh, any yes, chance? Okay. Yes. So you you could kind of see the the regal, you know, ness of Angela Bassett's character, right? So she was a queen mother. And in our community, um, we sort of have embarked upon different traditions of West Africa and East Africa. Um and 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 we've upheld this position of a queen mother to um Sometimes tell you when, when you're wrong, but also to um, just be a voice that you can go to. So it's, it's in a, a very um, profound uh, position in our community. And on the second night, Kujichakulia, um, we will be having our first installation of Queen Mothers. Uh, it's been the first one since 1998, I think. And and so that is just, and, and the Queen Mothers don't know who they are. So it is a surprise. Oh, wow. So these are specific uh-huh. named people yes. who are honored by the community as yes. a whole in this event. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. So it's going to be pretty awesome. Is this something that is particularly Nashville about this being a piece of Kwanzaa or is this... Uh, it it is new for Kwanzaa Nashville, okay. but it is um, something that our what we call our Nash Village right um, embarked upon many many years ago, and unfortunately, all of our queen mothers have have transitioned to be ancestors. Uh, but fortunately, we feel them in everything that we do, so it's going to be an honor and privilege to celebrate them. But um, it it is not just a Nashville thing. I mean, like I said, it's it's gathering um, different traditions from West Africa. Um, but it is native to Nashville in the in the folks that we are um, going to make Queen Mother. So, and it seems to me that touches on something both of you brought up earlier, which is that intergenerational aspect and respecting elders, but also bringing the, the children in to understand about respecting their, their parents and their grandparents and the. I'm putting air quotes here, grandparents <laughs> out in the community. That's right. Aunties, um, uncles, yeah. Right. That's and right. how important is that aspect of Kwanzaa to you, Janine? It's super important. Uh, in a time when a lot of families are divided by distance or, you know, living far away and, and some not so close to the family. So this brings family together to feel that old. Like when I grew up, my grandmother cooked every Sunday. Every single Sunday, we would go to a grandmother's house. We have a beautiful meal. We would play in the yard, ice cream the whole nine yards. So Kwanzaa will help you bring back that feel of family. No one hugs you like a grandmother. 
no one talks to you with wisdom like a grandfather. So when you come to a Kwanzaa celebration, you're going to get all of that. You're going to get a little loving. You're going to get someone who respects and understands you, but also maybe some correction, oh, which yes. sometimes is necessary, <laughs> right. but also will help you understand your purpose. We, by our actions, will inspire some young person to know how important they are to the community, and they will take this baton and create other communities of Kwanzaa in next 365 days because Kwanzaa doesn't end on the first. It keeps, continues on through your lifestyle. So seven nights, seven events, and I know it's like asking you to pick a favorite child, oh, but Marquita, no, do what that. are do you not do that? <gasps> really, like, what is this like extra excitement for I, you as you go into I this week? Two, one. Sure. Okay. Okay. Sure, I'm so sorry. So definitely Kuchichakulia with the Queen Mothers. Um, it is going to be amazing, but it is also just to honor these women. And, and their service and all of it and, and regalia and, you know, the beauty of it all. I love that. Really excited about the Night of Nia as well. Resonates with me. Um, there is a panel and it is called The Beauty and the Burden of Black Excellence. And so that panel, it's got like Judge Rachel Bell, a couple other folks. And talking about like black excellence is beautiful. And it really is. But sometimes you feel like you're in a bubble of like perfection that's not real. So you, I, I love that balance of of understanding what that means. So that's those are two of my favorites. I'm sorry. Do you have a favorite? <laughs> I cannot. I will not get myself in trouble on, on this radio I know, and have my phone blow up afterwards. Well, but let's, I love put it, <laughs> let's put it this way: if someone is going to be celebrating Kwanzaa in Nashville for the first time, mm-hmm. in just a few words, what can they expect to see and hear? Love, music, joy, from unity to faith. Fabulous. Well, this year's Kwanzaa begins on Monday. Marquita, Janine, thanks so much for joining us. And I hope you both have a beautiful and meaningful Kwanzaa this year. Thank you so much. Thank Happy you. Kwanzaa. Thank you so much. Marquita Holt is on the board of Kwanzaa Nashville and Janine Blackman is president of the African American Cultural Alliance. If you're interested in checking out some of the organized events for the holiday, you can find a schedule at KwanzaaNashville.com. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, the This Is Nashville team will be off, but we're bringing you a special holiday episode of The One Recipe from the producers of The Splendid Table. We'll be back next week with a slate of our best shows of 2022. Tune in. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Maria Hall. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.